Hey folks, thanks for being a listener to the Silver Linings Handbook podcast. In addition to getting a hand in shaping the guests and topics we will cover on the podcast, you'll also get bonus material for my interviews. This is a bonus episode for my interview with Kent Kilsby. Kent is a former CIA officer who talked to me about the traumas associated with working in intelligence on last Tuesday's podcast. In this bonus, we discuss what it takes to be a CIA officer and the art of lie detection. So, so it, besides street smarts, which street smarts, you, you part of that is adapting yourself to the situation and culture that you're in. But the other part of, of the requirements, I believe, to be successful and, and being a foreign correspondent is very much like being an intel officer is very cultural. Similar. You have to have cultural competence. And culture doesn't necessarily just mean language or you can ha- you can have cultural competence and not have the language, but language and culture are intertwined. And I, I have seen people get language competence and yet be incompetent in the culture. So if the, cult- the culture in Rwanda at the time was constant conflict, constant wars, I guarantee you, you dr- driving from the airport, you see five bodies in the street at that time. So right. you know, that, that's part of the culture. That's what's going on there. And you have to be competent in that. If you're not, if you're not street smart and you're not competent in the culture, whoever sent you there has horribly failed you by selecting you and sending you there, whether you're working for a newspaper or the government. And it seems like uh, one of the kind of personality characteristics you're even getting at is an extraordinary amount of resilience, yeah. a, an ability to deal with ambiguity shifting from culture to culture, yep. you know, a deep desire, sort of a, a depth of a, you know, inquisitive openness to new ideas and, and focused on unlearning. But at the same time, and I don't know if this applies for the, for the CIA, but the U S government tends to like focus on hiring people who are really conscientious, who follow the rules, <laughs> who check yep. all the boxes And this doesn't seem like that job. It seems like the opposite. It's the exact opposite. And, and, and the, the CIA, I I tell people who are interested in joining the CIA, look, there's no job like it. And there there's, it's really, really cool. If you're, if you're prepared for it and you, you, there, there's nothing like it, but at the end of the day, it's the same as working for the Department of Agriculture. It's a huge government bureaucracy, and you're not rewarded or uh, you're you're not recognized for excellence. You're rewarded and recognized. You're not rewarded and recognized for operational excellence. You're rewarded and recognized for bureaucratic excellence. Those things may overlap, but they also may not at all. Right, right, and they may completely contradict with they each other. They may be completely contradict, yeah. Right. I remember uh, one very nice thing that you did. I remember soon after we first met, 
there was a client of mine's girlfriend who was interested in working in the CIA. And you mm-hmm. said something that really struck me. We we're sitting in your <laughs> kitchen and you said, here's what you need to do to get into the CIA. Here's what you need to do to actually be good at the job. And they were very, very different things. <laughs> and, yeah. and that always struck me. Yeah. Um, but that brings me to a question. What uh, led you to reach out to me in the beginning? So at, at the time, when I, when I reached out to you, I was working for a company that had the contract to run the course. It was a 13-week uh, credentialing course for the uh, military junior ops officer program. It has another name. I don't remember what it is, but they... They, the graduates of this course were e- working for the military, either the DOD or they were in the military. Uh, they were either civilians or, or, or they were in the military. And when they got this qualification, they would go out and be sort of junior ops officers, helping senior ops officers and doing some human intelligence operations on their own. So as a, I, I was an instructor, instructional designer, and uh, and a subject matter expert, and I was given the the decept- So it was a, a, a long course, thirteen weeks with a lot of uh, a lot of practical exercises, but they would also have chunks, modules of different issues or subjects related to human oper- human intelligence operations. And one of those was deception detection. And uh-huh. uh, I took it over from, I took over that module from an FBI agent who, who was, uh, who, he had been retired and now he was moving on. It was, the, the curriculum was just confused and useless. I sat in on his, him doing a, one class in it and it was just, it was nonsense he preached that when you're trying to detect deception, you need to increase the, uh, the cognitive load on the subject. And he would, he'd give an exam, he would give a, uh, a demonstration where he'd have a student come up and then he'd like ask rapid fire, ask him questions and throw things at him. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, uh, okay. We'd all be guilty at that point. Exactly. And, and <laughs> when, when you mentioned the, 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 your ex- exchange with an FBI officer or, or you know, the, the uh, observation that, yeah, if you're talking to the FBI, you're going to be nervous. Well, exactly. The, right. These guys don't have no meta, <laughs> uh, they, they, they don't realize that the effect that they have on other people. Yeah, I've never had a day where I was like, huh, I'd like to uh, go have tea with the FBI agent right now. (laughs) But you never do. You only have tea with the FBI agent when they knock on your door, flash their badge and and let their gun show. You know, that's the only time you do anyway. Totally unaware uh, of this. And so so it, it was very clear. I've got to change this. I have to recreate this module. And it since I'm in charge of this, I get to create the a, a deception detection module based on what I know actually works. So I stripped out all of that nonsense. I stripped out all of the physiological things. 
whether technical or observational. At that time, the big thing, and there was another instructor there that was totally uh, recommending and, and, and using, quote unquote, using Paul Ekman's micro expressions. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but he he wrote uh, he he he's he's a, an academic, and they had a TV show based on his stuff yeah. called "Lie to Me." Lie to me, yeah, all total nonsense, fraudulent scam. His claim is that he can see millisecond long flash of a facial expression, interpret that that he called it micro expression interpret that micro expression as a specific emotion and then interpret that emotion as either lying or telling the truth. Total nonsense. And, and the, the goal was to, he was going to teach them to see micro expressions, the TSA screeners, and they would uh, identify terrorists based on that. Nine years, not a single terrorist was ever identified. Total Total failure. So anyway, this is the kind of thing that uh, that that was in, in this program that instructors were recommended. Yeah, well, you need to get a subscription to Paul Ekman's Micro Expressions. He had an online class. This kind of nonsense. So I I had a chance to focus on, and this is when I turned it into a curriculum. My approach as an instructional designer is to not to lecture people, not to be a talking head but to give them kind of guidelines and then give examples and then let them practice. And where you came in was, I thought it was a unique opportunity to hear from a deceiver. Yeah. Someone to give them the live, uh, live real thing. <laughs> who had been, who had successfully dealt with people who are trained to, uh, or, or people who think that they can detect deception, but who had been successful in eluding, uh, who had been successful in applying deception and eluding those the detection. Uh, That's actually a really interesting point that I hadn't really thought about about my career. Certainly, I've thought about the uh, fabrication and plagiarism, and you know the recovery afterwards. Uh, but I never think about the, or not never think, but I, I, I really think about the other part of it. It required an enormous amount of um, ducking cover and deception. You know, someone yeah. would run into me in the newsroom in the middle of the night, and I was supposed to be in Maryland. You had to have a great story that you could come off, uh, come off off the top of your head, and this, you know, as mentally, despite the mental challenges at the time, I found it just absolutely natural and easy to do it. But that, I, I never really thought about the other piece of it, which is really my whole job as a journalist was to sniff out people lying too. Yeah, so yeah. it was kind of the two sides of the coin. And I wonder whether that's why it came so naturally, that I'm constantly on the alert for it based on my job. And, you know, I kind of knew in the back of my head what would get by people. But turn it around and, and look at the people around you. If you're right and journalists are, um, like ops officers, able to sniff out de deception, why didn't the others, why were you successful in deceiving the, those around you? Yep. Yep. 
It's a, that's an interesting, yeah, it was fascinating to me. I was very surprised when, when you first reached out, it was very early in sort of my, my process of, of rebuilding. And I really thought as I listened to you and I understood what you were talking about, that this kind of work can have real, real positive. We talked about those examples like coast, real positive, or even the Stasi, real positive benefit on society. And, you know, if intelligence is so important to democracy, because I firmly believe it is, and we should definitely care about the well-being of the people, we should also care about the people who are, what our selection criteria is. What do you think can be done to to put a focus on both the emotional well-being of the people who do work in the intelligence community and also hiring the right uh, right type type of people for the job because to me Ken it seems very basic you know yep. if you go into a simple leadership uh, development program and we're trying to figure out how to develop someone or how to hire someone for the job we create what we call a success profile we say, exactly. hey, these are the experiences, these are the competencies, these are the personality traits, and these are the drivers, sort of the core values that are critical to this role. And then we hire these people. Exactly. So I'm trying to figure out what, what can be done. Well, that, that has to be done. What in, in, in my job as a, uh, so, so I have another, another line of expertise, and that's instructional design or uh, human performance improvement is one of my specialties and this is where where really these insights into the criteria for success come from is my specialty is competency models it's the knowledge skills and attitudes required for success in a given role and what you have to do is and, and i i've i've done these uh, in manufacturing in in anything from from a a welder in a uh, automotive uh, uh, manufacturing facility in Mexico to uh, a, a leader of a uh, of a Fortune fifty uh, sales organization, you can do the same thing. You 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 do you construct the competency model based on. Uh, my approach, there's different ways of doing it, but I find a, I forget what I call it, exceptional performer, someone who's really good at the job. Yep. And high then, performing uh, leaders in high performing organizations is what we do. Yeah. It seems like you have a good model backed on a lot of research and science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and reality too. It's research, a lot of research and science leads down to uh, academic rabbit holes that go nowhere. Like, yeah. And it really starts <laughs> with common sense, I think. Yeah. It's exactly common sense and, and street smarts. So you, you build, if if i was gonna gonna retool the the human intelligence uh operations officer program you start with a competency model and that is reality based uh knowledge skills and attitudes required for success and then that competency model then creates a profile of the uh, of the candidates that you hire to begin training to develop all of those skills. So the, the competency model is first. Then you have to stop and look at the life that you're the what you're throwing these people into, what you're asking them to do, 
in all aspects of their life. Because it is when, when you're living undercover and everything you say and do is a lie, your job is not nine to five. Your job is 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's You're always under those pressures to lie, to be someone you're not, you to, you're involving your family. So you have to go beyond this sort of, uh, to, to support and to help those people who you've properly selected, you now have to provide them support that acknowledges those challenges, the emotional, social, psychological uh, effects on on these these officers' lives, these people who you're putting in into this situation on their lives. Thank you again for becoming a Silver Linings Handbook podcast listener. Listen to the Silver Linings Handbook podcast every Tuesday.